This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Pride's Easy Feed. A message for trainers of thoroughbred, standard bred and performance horses. Pride's Easy Feed would like you to know a little more about a new product called Energy Pack, a top-up feed designed to replace cracked or flaked corn in a horse's diet. Energy Pack comes in small cubes of extruded corn and full-fat soybean and is six times more digestible than raw corn. Energy Pack isn't a complete feed. You simply use it to top up your horse's normal ration. Energy Pack will help you to stay ahead in the war against acidosis. Energy Pack comes in 20 kilo bags and is a palatable concentrated source of energy. Speaking of acidosis, Pride's also recommends Easy Light, a great tasting electrolyte. Its glucose and fruit flavouring is just the ticket for those fussy eaters. For best results, feed Easy Light as part of your horse's balanced ration. Replace those lost salts and keep your horses on their water through the long hot summer. Pride's Easy Light and Pride's Energy Pack, a winning double from Pride's Easy Feed. Masters in the field of equine nutrition. I've been wanting to talk to Jenny Duggan on our podcast for a long time and I'm at a loss to explain why it hasn't happened so far. This lady's story is one of racing's most endearing. It's the story of a little Swedish girl who couldn't let go of a childhood dream to spend her life with horses. In the beginning, she didn't care what kind of horses they were but by late teens, she'd grown fond of thoroughbreds. Work experience with Murray Baker in New Zealand shaped her destiny. She was 21 when she travelled to Australia with a Swedish friend and within weeks was riding track work at Warwick Farm. Some time later, she was encouraged by her partner, amateur jockey Ben Duggan, to join him at the picnics. Within two years, she became the first female to win an amateur premiership. The circumstances under which she turned professional make for an amazing and a funny story. More than 20 years later, Jenny Duggan is a busy jockey. She's the mother of two boys and stepmother to a wonderful girl. She has two wins in the Rising Star series under the belt, a handful of stakes winners and the respect of many owners and trainers. Her indomitable spirit has seen her bounce back from one horrific fall and a list of minor injuries. Perhaps Alfred Nobel, Bjorn Borg and Abba have dominated the headlines when it comes to famous Swedes, but as a racing devotee, I've got Jenny Duggan right up there with them. Direct from the Gosford Trials on February the 15th, Jenny Duggan joins us on the podcast. Lovely to chat, Jen. Thanks for your time. Gee, you made that sound good then, John. It's all (laughs) true. just a lovely introduction. (laughs) Yeah, well, you deserve it, Jenny. And as I said, it's all true, every word of it. You're you're a popular (laughs) go-to jockey in the Hunter in the Northwest (laughs) and on the North Coast which are all the reasons you've had about 120, 130 race rides in the last four months. Your manager, Sean Flaherty, does a good job sending you to the right places. He really does. And he's, uh, he actually, I think 
Sean is really good because he focuses a lot on strike rate, which it works well as a jockey, I suppose, because you sort of you always go to the races knowing that you're going to be on a good chance, and it's um, yeah, it's just a nice feeling to sort of know that he he works that way. Mm. You almost got away with a good black type race recently, the listed Australia Day Cup at Warwick Farm on your old mate Torrance. You rated him beautifully in front and James MacDonald on Naval College was breaking out in carbuncles halfway down the straight when you looked like holding him off. He nailed you in the last stride. He sure did, didn't he? And I suppose going into the race, both me and Mark Chevalier, the trainer of Torrance, we knew that the the horse, the favourite naval, was going to be the one to beat. Uh, so we we sort of spoke about these daring tactics because we know that Torrance can sustain a long run, like a long sustained hard run. So that's kind of how we thought we'd play it out. And look, it nearly paid off, but he was gallant in defeat, wasn't he? Oh, wasn't he? Yeah. He's one of your favourites too, Jen. You've written him ten times all up for three wins, including the City Tattersall's Cup and the Beaufort at Newcastle. Lovely races. Mm, he's just a beautiful animal, this horse. He's, a, he's actually a stallion and he's by Adelaide. Um, he's, just, he's just got such, I don't know, stamina about him you know the horse like the way he he is I, yeah I just can't really describe it I suppose everybody has a horse that's very close to their heart and he certainly is mine yeah Torrens who's very well known being by Adelaide a city mm. situated on the river Torrens believe it or not in South Australia <laughs> Jen I love yeah. your story uh, you and your two brothers grew up on a dairy farm at a place called Figgleholm South of Stockholm on uh, on the Baltic coast, a handful of horses shared the paddocks with the dairy cows, and the horses were little Jenny Lindgren's primary focus, weren't they, from a very early age? And my word, they were, John. You couldn't keep me away. I was forever climbing into the paddocks, climbing up on horses, and, oh, yeah, I think mum and dad had probably... A, a job keeping me alive because I was always forever just getting on whatever horse I could and just riding like yeah. you just couldn't stop me. <laughs> Is it true that mum or dad would have to drag you off the horse when your dinner was on the table? You rode all day long. All day long. There was, yeah, they had to bend me off the horse and I would cry and scream and obviously in Sweden it in wintertime it gets dark quite quickly you know sun goes down at about 3 30 in the afternoon and mm. obviously mum and dad want to keep you sort of close by and try to have you you know within striking range but mm. I was nowhere to be found I was always out on a horse and yeah there was hard catching me. Mm. Your paternal grandfather Alphonse owned the local riding school but he actually lived he, at your place, and you tell me he was a great horseman and a great teacher. That he was. He was. He, uh, yeah. He he built the the riding school, and um, obviously, mum and dad they sort of worked there as riding instructors early days before we got the dairy, and 
Mm. Yeah, I suppose that's where my fondness of the horses started because they were always nearby, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, Alphonse died in 2019 at the remarkable age of 92. <laughs> yeah, that he did. He had a great long life. He was just, yeah, he was an amazing man. He just worked hard all this life and always had time for all us kids teaching us and, <laughs> yeah, it was a great upbringing. Tell me about your mum and dad, Tony and Lisa. Have you had them in Australia? Yep, they've been out here a few times. Um, obviously, Dad, he's still very much, even though he's in his 70s now, he's uh, still working. He, uh, We sold the dairy farm, but he... Um, he still works for other farmers, helps them looking after their dairies when they want to go away for a holiday and whatnot. So, mm. yeah, he still, I suppose, keeps himself young in that aspect where he just keeps working away and he still has horses, big stock horses that he uses, like working the land and all that. So, yeah, he mm. he probably finds it a little bit harder getting away um, with all that, but mum was here quite recently. It was only, I think it was 2022 she was Mm. out here visiting us. Mm. Lovely. Sweden is predominantly a harness racing country. There's a trotting track in most towns and they have the famous elite lop, of course, in May at Stockholm Solvalla Raceway. It seems, Jen, that any horsey kid in Sweden is likely to finish up in a trotting stable. Yeah, it seems that way. And I I also suppose tried to go down that venue because when um when I was I was doing equine studies and uh, it was the college that I went to, it was a boarding school, was right next to the sort of trotting track but um i just found it for my taste i suppose it was just a little bit impersonal sitting behind the horse in a cart yeah understand yeah i just like to get that feel of a horse riding them being I want to be one with the horse, if you know what I mean. I want to feel what it feels. And I felt sitting behind them in a cart just wasn't for me. So, yeah, it just just wasn't happening for me. It was 1999 or 2000 when a contact arranged work experience for you with the great New Zealand trainer Murray Baker at Cambridge in the Waikato. You stayed six months and you loved every minute of it. I sure did. I sure did. It really opened up my eyes to what the the thoroughbred racing was all about because in Sweden there was only two tracks for thoroughbreds, so the sport is quite small. So I just hadn't experienced really what it was all about. But when I got to Cambridge and got to see how they operated and how they trained their horses, it was yeah, it was really opened up my eyes to how interesting the sport was. And, mm. yeah, I loved every minute of it. I loved how Murray, he was a really astute trainer, obviously, and great with two-year-olds. Um, so it was just really, just really interesting. 
I found it. And mm. I remember leaving New Zealand and I flew, I had a stop in Sydney and flying in over Bondi and all that. I just thought to myself, I really need to come back and come to Australia and see what it's all about because I knew yeah. a lot of people in New Zealand was talking about how good the their thoroughbred racing was obviously in New Zealand, but mm. Australia was one step ahead again. Yep. So, well, yeah, that, that really lit my interest. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a moment, Jenny. But before we leave Cambridge, the fact that Murray Baker's wife, Bjorn's mum, is of mm. Swedish extract would have helped you to yes. combat any homesickness. It did. Marianne, she's just a lovely lady. She's, um, yeah, she really sort of took me in and um, helped me out with everything that, you know, sort of needed. Because obviously when you travel, you know, to the other side of the world, I think that was my first trip too. And mm. I was only at a young age. So it was really lovely to have her, mm. you know, also being a Swede, you kind of felt, you know, like a motherly figure, I suppose. Absolutely. Well, it wasn't all that long after when your friend Emma Hansen was about to visit Australia and she asked you to join her and you were at the airport four hours early. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was. it's actually quite a funny story because Emma was super keen to go to Australia and... I suppose at this point in my life, I was, I wasn't that keen. I mean, I was, I was up for a holiday, but I, the way Emma was talking, she was more like, well, if I meet a man down there, I'm staying. And I said, well, that's good for you, but I'm just going mm -hmm. for a holiday for three months and then I'm coming home. Mm -hmm. So, um, <laughs> said and done, we, uh, we got to Australia and, uh, yeah, things just went the total opposite. She did not like Australia whatsoever. Mm. She hightailed it after three months and I absolutely loved it. <laughs> you're still here. <laughs> and I'm still here, yes. Oh, so yeah, you're an Oz. saying something, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it didn't take you long. You've always been a goer. Within a few weeks, you were riding track work at Warwick Farm for trainers like Oliver Kuhlman, Steve Engelbrett and Billy Prane, you didn't let the grass grow under your feet. No, that is for sure. I I really liked how I felt that the, the workload here in Australia was a whole lot easier than what it was in Sweden. You know, obviously here you, you have your sort of you turn up, you're either a track work rider or a stable hand, which I found a whole lot easier. I could just ride all day, whereas in Sweden you kind of, you get your four horses and you have to look after them, do their boxes and mm. do all the tacking and everything by yourself. So I just, yeah, I was really having the time of my life here. Well, the next step was a move to Port Macquarie where Mark Quinn had a job for you. But by then, a relationship was gathering momentum with an amateur jockey called Ben Duggan, who clearly flagged his intentions by following you to Port Macquarie. <laughs> yeah, no, we, um, 
like I I was happy at this point just writing work and enjoying it in in so many ways. And I remember Ben saying to me, he said, what are you doing? You're writing really well. You should you should just get your licence. And mm. I, I was probably walking around uh, 57, 58 kilos at this stage and I said, oh, I, I'm too heavy to be a jockey. He said, yeah, but you, you can be an amateur just like me. So, mm-hmm. and, yeah, said and done, I started doing my trials and it was – once I finished my trials and got approved as an amateur, it was like I can look back at it now as some of the best times of my, my life. There was yeah. so much fun. Mm. Well, you rode under the name of Jenny Lindgren and in the 2009-2010 season, you became the first female to win an amateur premiership. You made your mark. I, I did, and to be honest, I um I have to thank Ben a lot for this one because uh, obviously it's hard to get rides at the picnics because there's only so many horses and there's not that many race meetings like we only race what once once every weekend. Um, and to start with. Ben used to give me whatever rides he couldn't take, I used to be able to get. So, and then I suppose things just started going better and better for me. And at the end of it, it was the other way around. Whatever rides I couldn't take, I would have to give to Ben. <laughs> <laughs> so he he done a really good job marketing me, I must admit. And yeah, mm. it was it, it was a, it was great teamwork, and it was so much fun. Well, shortly after, Jen, your story took an amazing twist. You were one of a small delegation from the New South Wales Amateur Jockeys Association to front racing New South Wales about the paltry riding fees that were being paid to picnic jockeys at the time. You went to that meeting and you tell me a racing New South Wales delegate who shall remain nameless highly offended you with a comment he made. Yeah, it did. And I suppose it all um, come to a head when there was, it was actually quite a bad fall um, at a picnic race meeting and uh, one of our fellow jockeys, Reese Potter, he actually lost his life oh dear. in this in this race for, yeah, and we kind of after this just felt like we, you know, we should be having the same sort of conditions as, because we are jockeys, you know, like there's, mm-hmm. there's no price on a life as we know. So we, we kind of just went there saying that there should just be, you know, above board like jockeys are jockeys where they kind of said, well, if if you want the same as a professional jockey, then that's what you will have to be. He said, why don't you turn pro? Yes, exactly. Yeah, which and shock, shocked you initially, but as you left the building and in the following couple of days, you started to think to yourself, why not? Exactly, exactly. That's just how it went. I mean, we were, I suppose, 
the wounds was fresh at this point from everything that had happened and mm-hmm. we were quite frustrated. But the more I thought about it, I thought, well, why wouldn't I? Because I had two great seasons in mm-hmm. winning the premiership at the picnic circuit. So I mm-hmm. suppose I just thought to myself that I'll give it a go and see how, how it all turns out for me. Yeah. Uh, were you and Ben married at this time? We were not, no. No, not long after though, wasn't it? Not long after we got married. Mm. Well, here's a date, Jenny, February the 12th, 2012. You joined an elite group of jockeys to win at your very first ride in the professional ranks. The track was Port Macquarie, the horse was Cap Cat and the trainer was Anthony Dable. Now, I wish I'd been calling that race, Jen, because I would have christened you the Figgleholm Flash. <laughs> oh, yeah, gee, I, you'll never forget your first winner. And I <laughs> I still, you know, to that this day, it's just, it's such a fond day because obviously also being at Port Macquarie where I did a lot of my riding and worked for Mark Quinn and Jenny Graham. All my sort of, you know, early associates were there. So mm. it was just, yeah, it was just great to get my first winner there. Mm. Well, the winners started to flow and your claim soon began to attract the attention of Sydney trainers like Bjorn Baker, who, of course, you'd met previously in New Zealand. Now, Bjorn had a handy horse called Cantonese at the time. You won five races on Cantonese, three in the city. And you were telling me a couple of years back he was the best horse you'd ridden. Does that still apply? Well, I suppose maybe maybe Torrance has, mm. has toppled him off his pedestal, but I suppose Cantonese is also very fond to me because he really put me on the map at that point where I was in my riding career. Um, and with Bjorn's support, obviously, it was it was just great to sort of be known, you know what I mean? Mm. So, yeah. But I do, I do think now that Torrance has taken over. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> well, you've won stakes races on Torrens and almost made it another one recently in the Australia Day yeah. Cup. You know, you couldn't stop riding winners for the next 18 months or so. And just when you were beginning to think you were indestructible, you clipped heels in a race at Newcastle one day and suddenly found yourself sliding along on top of the running rail. The damage mm. was extensive, wasn't it? MCL and ACL ligaments in the right knee, and it gave you hell. Yeah, it's it's a very unfortunate injury, that because anyone knows that a broken leg will heal within six to eight weeks, but when you talk ligaments, that's when things are not so great, are they? So mm. there was uh, the prognosis for this was about, yeah, 12 months in recovery. Yeah. Yeah. The story gets better, though, Jen, and we're going to 
tell that story when we come back after this break on our podcast. We'll be back with Jenny Duggan in a moment or two. On Saturday the 24th of February, Rose Hill Gardens will host three Group 2 races, the Hobartville, the Silver Slipper and the Millie Fox Stakes, named after the lady who drifted into racing in 1965 when her husband Stan gave her a thoroughbred racehorse as a birthday present. The widely respected Millie Fox was in step with Stan as he increased his involvement to 60 horses within two years. Stan Fox passed away in 1974 but Millie continued to operate Nebo Lodge at Rose Hill with Brian Mayfield-Smith as her trainer. In 1996, the Sydney Turf Club introduced a fillies and mares race called the Millie Fox Stakes at black type level. It was a listed race for 10 years, a Group 3 for 5, before going to Group 2 in 2013. Red Tracer made this race her own with consecutive wins in 2012, 13, and 14 and confirmed her class by also winning a Maya Classic and a Tats Tiara. The only other multiple winner of the Millie Fox is the gay Waterhouse trained Montana Flyer who scored in 2010 with Blake Shin and again the following year with Tommy Berry. Blake Shin also won the race on first seal in 2016. This daughter of Fastnet Rock overcame a niggling hind foot problem to win $1.2 million and become New South Wales Horse of the Year in 2014-15. 16 months before winning the Millie Fox, First Seal had beaten Winks in the flight stakes by an emphatic three lengths. The Millie Fox is coming up again on February 24 as the Sydney Autumn Racing Carnival gets into full swing. Well, you got back in action uh, following that fall at Newcastle a year later and you'd barely started to ride track work again when you made a surprise discovery. <laughs> yeah, it was one of, one of the better ones, wasn't it? It was uh, actually founding out that um, I was pregnant with our first, <laughs> with our first little fella. <laughs> oh, dear me. Uh, yeah, no, it was... Uh, it was a break I was happy to take. It was definitely not uh, not something that I was planning. I remember I was actually I was doing trials and yeah, I was I was getting ready to come back and mm-hmm. yeah, I found myself pregnant and not um, a, not again. Not again, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sorry, you're talking about the first time. I've I've jumped yeah, the gun there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the first time, yeah. Right. Well, you um, just, you forgot about horses for a while to look after little Max, and another yes. year passed, but the bug bit you again. You got back to track work. Another surprise. Yeah, and this was a surprise, I'll tell you, because we had we had only planned to have one child, and uh, yeah, the the universe. Uh, was pointing us in a different direction, and uh, along came Sebastian. Goodness gracious me. That Ben wouldn't yeah. give you a break, would he? <laughs> I suppose not. <laughs> I suppose not. But, um, you know, you and they were actually, they were quite close together too. I think Max was only a year old. Mm. No, sorry, a year 
yeah, just over a year he would have been when we found out we were pregnant with Sebastian. So, mm. yeah, there. It definitely wasn't planned, but I would not have it any other way. Oh, of course not. Today. <laughs> when those two little boys were up and running, you made a business decision. Your plan was to supplement the income by riding track work for local trainers, only track work. You had no intention of riding in races again until your weight suddenly stabilised, your rhythm returned, and so did the desire. Yeah, it's it's so hard, isn't it, when you when your work is your passion. It's just... It doesn't matter what you try and tell yourself because I, I suppose with the dangers with the sport, I was trying to, to tell myself that I, I'd be, I'd be fine to just ride track work and, but I just, I, I couldn't. I just, I just wanted to ride in the race. I suppose it's, I'm an adrenaline junkie, and I think most jockeys are. Yeah. You know, you just, you look for that all the time, and it doesn't, it doesn't come enough in track work. Mm. <laughs> Well, you had to find somebody to indenture you at that stage, and it was your brother-in-law, Adam Duggan, who very kindly agreed to do that. And before long, you were riding in races again. I remember one Randwick winner in that time for your former boss, Mark Quinn. This one is very clear in my memory. It was a horse called Gumshoe in a tab highway. You were held up coming up the rise, and I thought, this girl's in strife. But you didn't panic, Jenny. In fact, I think you, you said later, being held up may have won you the race. Mm, yeah, I do. I remember this day really well too. He, It actually did help that horse that day because I think he, he used to be a horse that could probably hit the front and just sort of have a little bit of a look around and a stargaze. But mm. being held up today this on this special day, he he just, when he did get clear running, he just excelled underneath me and hit the line very strong and won the race. So mm. it was just lovely to get that win for Mark, who supported me so much throughout the years. Mm. Well, the winners really started to flow and you were getting rides from a wide range of stables. Let's fast forward to Scone Cup Day 2020. Despite the presence of many top Sydney riders, you had six mounts on the card. You finished right behind the place getters on a Waller-trained horse in the Scone Cup. Then you rode a mare called Steamboat Sally in a later race. You gave her every chance, but she started to struggle in the straight. The horse on your immediate outside shifted in abruptly you caught its heels and you fell with Robert Thompson's mount coming over the top of you. When did you mm. regain consciousness? It was some time later. Yeah. Uh, this was actually my easiest fall to date because I was knocked out straight away, so I was none the wiser. But mm. I, um, I remember coming to in the helicopter going to John Hunter Hospital. Mm. That's when I regained consciousness, yeah. Your most serious fracture, Jen, was a little bone called the occipital condyle at the base of the neck 
And that's the one that articulates with the first cervical vertebrae to control your head movement in all directions. Now, that, mm. was, that was one of several fractures. What were the others? Yeah, I, I was very fortunate this day. I mean, I had three bleeds to the brain, a broken nose, a fractured wrist. Uh, I think I broke my heel and my scapula oh, was in me. pieces. So there, there were significant injuries on the day, but I was just so lucky to be, you know, walking out of there. And I, I say that, like, because my occipital condyle was obviously just a small fracture, whereas if you actually, if you break this, completely then you're a, you're in the wheelchair for the rest of your life you're a quad, quadriplegic I think they call it don't they that's right um, yeah yeah so I just I forever you know thank my lucky stars for being able to walk out of there like mm. obviously not walk on the day but yeah no no but Jenny amazingly you were only in hospital one week uh, before returning home to begin a long, tedious, uncomfortable and frustrating rehabilitation. The family were magnificent, although it was an awful shock for the young boys. Mm -hmm. It was. And I had I had a lot of luck, luck actually, because as it turned out, Steamboat Sally's owner was actually a... Um, neurosurgeon who specialises in neck injuries and mm. his wife is actually Swedish. Oh, so yeah. the stars really aligned for me this day. Mm. They they were in contact with my husband, Ben, and, you know, um, they seen me, I think, after I got out of hospital that week later. Mm. Um they seen me and, you know, yeah, they really helped me in my recovery. Yeah. Did anybody in your family here or overseas try to talk you out of making a comeback? Oh, Ben would never. He knows he better. Knows he knows better. He knows better. <laughs> yeah. He knows better. Yeah. Uh, but my my mum, obviously, she... Um, Yes, he didn't want me to write again. And I, I, I do understand that it's it's hard. And my kids, they probably didn't want me to write either. They they wouldn't say, you know, no. either. They wouldn't because, you know, that I suppose it is my choice. But, mm. yeah, here we are. Mm. Well, it was in the middle of 2021 when you quietly returned to your craft as a professional jockey. The first three meetings, winless. Uh, your fourth meeting was a Saturday at Port Macquarie on your old favourite track on a very heavy uh, course proper. Wayne Wilkes put you on a horse called Just Away. I think it was the first race. And up you bobbed. <laughs> yeah, this was funny actually because I think this was a nine-year-old gelding and... I can't remember how many starts he had, but there was a lot. 
and uh, all the other jockeys were kind of taking the mickey behind the gates saying, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah, the old bloody retirees <laughs> are joining, yeah. joining forces and, uh, yeah, mm. away we went. <laughs> and you won another race later in the day. It was a double. Mm. Um, and the other one was one of Mark Quinn's horses, was it? I think so. Or even yeah, better. yeah, from, yeah. From memory, yeah. So it was just, it was so sweet. Even though it was just a non-tab of a Saturday, it, you know, when you come back from a fall like that, a winner is just great anywhere. And let alone too, I, I honestly, I remember driving home. I was. I was just crying happy tears because oh, it, it just, you know, it just felt so good. It mm. felt so good being back and it's, you know, you try, you always as a jockey have to back yourself and especially, I suppose, being a jockey and a mum taking these decisions. Mm. It, it can be confronting and hard and a lot of people probably judge you for what you do. Yeah. When you do it. Well, it wasn't long before you were back to old habits. You were travelling to faraway meetings to ride all sorts of horses, some with ability, others with none, doing your best to repay the loyalty of so many trainers. But something mm. was wrong. You had a nagging pain on the left side of your neck and you say you were literally skew-whiff. You were starting to lean to the left. You were puzzled. Yeah, I um, I was, I was probably just trying to ignore the pain for too long. I mm. suppose, as you do as a jockey, you know, you always with. I've had a lot of falls, so there's always going to be arthritic pain and whatnot. So with this one, I was just trying to do business as usual. But as you say, I I could feel myself being uneven as a as a ship at sea I was just leaning one way mm. um so yeah that's that's when I had to sort of go back to the doctors again yeah well you did something that was a win-win for the whole family you decided to take a complete break from race riding and with Ben's blessing, you walked away, got on a plane with your two boys, Max and Sebastian, and home you go to Sweden. It was an adventure of a lifetime for the two boys. Ben stayed home, of course, to look after Maddie, or is it the other way around? Jenny, what a grounding thing for Max and Sebastian to see their mother's birthplace. Yeah, it was um, – it's probably how, like you say, how it all just aligned. I, With the pain in my in my neck then, I actually had to have a um, an injection into my neck to relieve the pressure, mm. like a cortisone injection, and we thought we have to have time off with that injection. So, yeah, we may as well – make something good of something that's not so good. So, yeah, mm. me and the boys just packed up and went home to Sweden for a while. Mm. 
You were away seven weeks? Yes, correct. Didn't go near a horse, of course, in that time, and a miracle happened. It fixed the problem, and it's been okay ever since. All you needed was a rest. Well, this is exactly right. You know, you sort of, you can always try and ignore things, but the body heals best when it's resting, and, yeah, it's paying dividends now. You were back in business in December of 2022. Second day back, you rode a winner at Tamworth for Mark Mason. A horse was called Dublin a Boy. Then came an opportunity to ride a handy mare in a benchmark race at Randwick. You actually declined rides at Newcastle on the day and you went to Randwick to win on our Bellagio Miss for Robin Luke Price. You thought you'd been beaten in a very tight photo finish. I sure did. I remember this day so well. I think she was paying $70, but it's uh, it's fortunate for me that horses don't get a form guide in that aspect to show them what price they are, and uh, she stuck her nose out when it mattered the most. Mm. And uh, Robin Luke Price, you don't ride a lot for the uh, for the Kembla Grange stable, but they put you on from time to time. They do, and when they do put me on, I, I actually have a fair bit of luck with them. So mm. it was absolutely amazing, and the the owners are such lovely people. They send me a beautiful card and flowers after she won. Mm. So that was lovely. Wonderful. I'll include a photo uh, on the podcast heading on the website, Jenny, because uh, I want to show our uh, listeners that the smile you wore that day as you came back on, on our Bellagio Miss was as wide as the Baltic Sea. <laughs> yeah, it would have been. It would have been, yeah. It is, um, yeah, it was just a great day, just absolutely amazing. I've always uh, been very careful not to hint at the ages of female guests. Do you want to keep this vital statistic a secret? No, God, no. Age is just a number. It doesn't doesn't matter to me. 45? Correct, this year. Can you think of any more senior female jockeys in Australia uh, who were close to that mark? I'd imagine Linda Meach is not too far behind. Yeah, you... You're probably better at the statistics than me here, John, but I, uh, I've i spoke to a few of the girls about this and I think I am one of the most senior ones <laughs> mm. where it comes to that age. But as you say, it's only a number. It is only a number and, you know, we're all going the same way. Nobody is ever getting any younger. So <laughs> <laughs> Your weight's never been a problem. You, you had to shed a few kilos when you switched from the amateur to the professional ranks, but it hasn't been a problem since. What a bonus. It is a bonus. I suppose everybody always has to work on it. And, you know, you always have to be mindful of what you eat and drink and do. But that's all part of it and I don't mind it. It just, I think being healthy obviously 
keeps you young, even if it's not age young. It, body-wise, it keeps me young, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. How much track work are you riding, Jen? Do you have a regular roster? Yep, I always go uh, two days a week. I do gallop mornings at Wyong and then uh, I have a few days around that that I float that I might go to other tracks or farms that has training facilities depending on mm. who needs me and whatnot. But, yeah, I'm just um, I'm just enjoying it now in my – I'm a little bit older and a little bit wiser, I suppose. It's easier to to sort of I know where to sort of put myself, if that makes sense. Yes, I, yeah. Yeah. The wonders of modern-day computer technology make it simple for your mum and dad to monitor your progress here in Australia. I imagine they do that religiously. <laughs> they do, and uh, Ben is always kind enough to to put to share Facebook videos so that they know when I've ridden the winner. And he he points out with his little finger where I'm at in the run, so they can find me. And yeah, they they love it. They enjoy it so much, and I think they get as much joy out of me riding a winner as I do. So it's mm. it's just really great. This may sound like a very obscure question and it's got nothing to do with racing. I'm just curious. Astrid Lindgren was a famous Swedish children's author whose many successful works included Pippi Longstocking, a 1945 mm. book which sold millions and millions of copies. Have you ever heard Astrid Lindgren's name mentioned uh, in your family background? Well, I actually did ask my mother about this and she she seems to think that we are connected in some sort of a way, but I it's it's yet to be sort of uh proven, I suppose. And Lindgren in Sweden is, you know, it's quite a common name. Oh, so I see. yeah. I think we will um we will leave that unsaid. <laughs> so okay. we're not telling you guys. <laughs> yeah, be but on the would, safe uh, side. To be on the safe side. But uh, I'd love to be associated with her because she is an amazing children's author. Mm. Well, Pippi Longstocking was legendary and is still read by kids all over the world. And what of the fact, uh, Jenny, that you don't have a trace of accent? You obviously learned English at school. Yeah, we start learning school in year three in Sweden because Sweden is such a small country. Um, the school curriculum is that we, we have to learn English because mm. uh, obviously a lot, of, a lot of us do go abroad and, yeah, seek sort of work or whatever it is that you seek that way. So, yeah. We can't conclude this podcast without special mention of your stepdaughter, Maddie. Great kid who's a tremendous support, isn't she, always? She is. She's such an amazing little sweetheart and she has been coming with me to the races since she was 
oh, she would have started when she was about four years old. Mm. Her and Ben used to be running a market, Rose Hill and Randwick, whilst I was riding. And um, it's actually lovely that she's she's now working in the stables of an afternoon in the racing stable. She works for Damien Lane at Wyong. So it's nice to see that she she is very involved with the racehorses and she she might take it up, you know. We'll see. Jenny, you're an inspiration to all those jockeys who've suffered the trauma of racing accidents and to the many female riders who despair of ever getting an opportunity. You're an absolute ornament to your craft. Congratulations on all you've achieved and thank you for your company on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. Thank you so much, John. That was just amazing. That gave me goosebumps just then. But, yeah, I really appreciate you having me on here. And um, I just want to say to all the female riders and all that out there that one should never despair. There's always hope. A message for trainers of thoroughbred, standard bred and performance horses. Pride's Easy Feed would like you to know a little more about a new product called Energy Pack, a top-up feed designed to replace cracked or flaked corn in a horse's diet. Energy Pack comes in small cubes of extruded corn and full-fat soybean and is six times more digestible than raw corn. Energy Pack isn't a complete feed. You simply use it to top up your horse's normal ration. Energy Pack will help you to stay ahead in the war against acidosis. Energy Pack comes in 20 kilo bags and is a palatable concentrated source of energy. Speaking of acidosis, Pride's also recommends Easy Light, a great tasting electrolyte. Its glucose and fruit flavouring is just the ticket for those fussy eaters. For best results, feed Easy Light as part of your horse's balanced ration. Replace those lost salts and keep your horses on their water through the long hot summer. Pride's Easy Light and Pride's Energy Pack, a winning double from Pride's Easy Feed. Masters in the field of equine nutrition.